I want to welcome everybody in the room, those watching us on the TV and on the stream, on the Sagebrush app, and for those in the Riverside uh, room, and actually the multi-sites as well, you were given a card called a contact update sheet. You can also do this on the app. That contact update sheet is there digitally. Just go to the banners and swipe through. You'll see contact update sheet. Click on that. This is our time once a year where we update our database, get all the latest information about you. Friends, we will never, ever sell your information, but if you want to know the latest, greatest things going on at Sagebrush, this is the easiest way for us to get in contact with you. So if you take the time to fill that out during the boring parts of this sermon, trust me, there's three or four parts where you're like, I can fill it out right now. That's what I can do. I'll just go ahead and fill it out right now. And I know the guys are saying, hey, honey, you fill that out for us. We want every individual person to fill this out. There's also a space there for you to make spiritual decisions. And so if you want to do that, we would encourage you uh, to do that digitally or in uh, print form. And when you get done with it, just drop it off in one of the collection boxes before you go. This is your chance for all you to watch us on TV and on the stream to be a part of the Sagebrush family. We'll get you the latest information about our church. All right, let's get into the message today. We've been doing a little study on the book of James. I want us to start off by looking at a psalm in Psalm 90, great verse of scripture. I want you to listen to this. It says, human beings are like the grass that is renewed in the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, in the evening it fades and it withers. Now, when, when the psalmist wrote this verse, he was making a simple observation. There were certain grasses in the Middle East that they would spring up in the morning, and then they would wither away in the evening time. And so what he's talking here is a natural observation about the brevity of life, that you think life is long, but life actually is a very short thing. So the time to start living your life is today. It's not tomorrow, but today, because life is precious, and all we have is today. There's no guarantees of tomorrow. I was reading a book by Lewis Smedes. Uh, Lewis is one of those guys who wrote a lot about the, uh, the lesson of the grass, how brief life on this earth is. He was a philosopher, and he was a professor, just a great guy. Just to give you a little background to Lewis's life, when he was a young man, World War II broke out, and so he immediately went down to enlist in the army. But here was the problem for Lou. He was six foot two and weighed 95 pounds. When he took his shirt off, they said, we don't, need, <laughs> we don't need people that desperately. So he wanted to do something for the war effort, so he immediately went over to the Red Cross to offer his blood. He rolled up his sleeve, and they looked at him, and they said, you need every ounce of blood that you've got, because he was such a skinny guy. Well, he's just a great guy, and he ends up marrying the love of his life, a woman by the name of Doris, and what they want to do is they want to share their love with some children. Unfortunately, they weren't able to have children, or so they thought, eventually she got pregnant, and they were stunned because they had been told over and over again that that was an impossibility. Well, they counted down the days to the birth of their child. Finally, she gave birth to a son, and his life only lasted one day, and then they had to bury him. And he said, then I had to wrestle with the questions of life. And I had to wrestle with the questions of why do these types of things happen and where is God in the middle of all that? And he had to wrestle with the brevity of life and how precious life is. So he wrote a lot of essays on this because it really impacted him. One particular essay I want to share with you. This is what he wrote down. 
He said, he wrote this about 20 years ago. He said, I bought a brand new date book yesterday. The kind I use every year, spiral bound, black imitation leather, covers wrapped around pages and pages of blank squares. Every square has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm in at the moment. Every square is a frame from one episode of my life. Before I'm through with the book, I will fill the squares with classes I teach, people with whom I ate lunch, everlasting committee meetings I sit through, and these are only a few of the things I cannot afford to forget. I fill the squares, too, with things I do not write down for me to remember, like thousands of cups of coffee, some lovemaking, some praying, and I hope gestures of help to my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside one of those squares on my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the square are the walls of time that organize my life. Everything I do has to fit into one square. Each square has an invisible door that leads to the next square, as if by silent stroke the door opens and I'm pulled through as if by a magnet sucked into the next square and line. There I will again fill the time frame that seals me. Fill it with my business just as I did the square before. And as I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. One day, I'll walk into the square that has no door. There'll be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of the squares will be terminal. I don't know which square it will be. Well, one recent December, Lou took his ladder. It was Christmas time. He wanted to put Christmas lights out on his house. He's 81 years old. He climbs up the ladder, gets dizzy, loses his footing, falls off the ladder, hits his head, goes into a coma. Three days later, he's dead. And that final square that he wrote about decades before finally came. Friends, you do realize that final square is going to come. And so between the time today and when that final square comes, here's the question I have for you. How do you want to fill the square? And how in the world do you know if you're filling the square correctly? How are you living your life today to the fullest? Or are you one of those people that keeps putting off living your life? You're one of those people that says, you know, one of these days I'm going to get around to it. Someday I'll become this. Someday I'll do that. When today is the day we need to be living our life. This is what James is going to be addressing next in his book. He's going to talk to us about a couple of ways that we blow it when it comes to time management. Let write this down if you're taking notes. The first thing that he warns us about is he says, don't make plans without asking God for help. James uses the illustration here in this passage of Scripture about two businessmen who are just having a conversation. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Now, this sounds like a typical conversation, a couple of business guys say, hey, I'm going to head over to this town, then I'm going to fly over to this town, going to do a little business over here, going to make a little money over there. And you say to yourself, was well, there anything wrong with that? What's wrong with that, Todd? Aren't we supposed to plan? Are you telling me that God's against planning? Oh, absolutely not. 
When Jesus walked the face of the earth, he planned. He planned to have the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. When he hung on the cross, dying for the sins of all mankind, Jesus made plans for his mom to be taken care of once he ascended to the right hand of the Father. In fact, Jesus made plans to meet up with his disciples as well. You say, well, what's the problem with these two business guys saying, well, tomorrow we're going to do this and tomorrow we're going to do that and we're going to make some money over here and make some money over there? Well, here's the problem that James had. We're making decisions, we're making plans without even consulting God in the first place. It's like God doesn't even exist. It's like we just go ahead and we fill up the squares of our life and we never consult with God if this is the way he wants us to spend our one only shot at life. And that's why so many people are so miserable. That's why so many people are so empty. That's why so many people long to make a greater difference with their life than they currently do because they're not even asking God what they should do with the time that they've got. Friends, it's possible, isn't it, for you and I to live what I call a Christian atheist life? You've heard of Christian atheists, haven't you? A Christian atheist is someone who professes that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. They even confess that at some point in time they asked Jesus to come in their life, but he has no bearing on their day-to-day operations. It's possible, isn't it? not saying any of us do it, but it's possible, isn't it, to go a day without thinking about God, without talking to God about any decision that you make? That it's possible, isn't it, to go a week or several weeks without ever asking God, is this what you want me to spend my day in? Is this where you want me to go? Is this what you want me to do? Is this what you have for me in this one shot at this day? We need to get up every day if you're a follower of Christ and ask him, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to accomplish today? Whose life could I enrich today? How could I grow In my love for you today, how do you want me to spend this precious day that you've given me in a way that would put a smile on your face and would bring about joy and peace and contentment inside of me? There's a couple of questions you should always ask yourself, friends, before you start filling out your squares. The first question is this, is what I'm doing bringing honor to God? My life verse, my favorite verse in the entire Bible is Colossians 3.17. This is what it says. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, that kind of sums everything up, doesn't it? Do it what? Do it all. Didn't say do it some. It says, do it all. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can I explain to you what the purpose of life is? It's to bring glory to God. That's it. It's to make His name great. It's to lift Him up on high. It's to fall deeper and deeper in love with Him. And then to leverage everything that He's given you, all your time, all your talent, all your treasure, you leverage that for His glory. To him be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Let me tell you how you can live a life that just isn't satisfying. It's try to get the glory for yourself. 
When you lift yourself up, friends, you'll find out just how empty you are. But when you lift him up and you glorify him and you leverage all of your life for him, all of a sudden the seemingly meaningless becomes meaningful because you did it for him, you did it through him, to him be the glory. That's what you should be thinking about every single day. How do I bring glory to God in this situation? How do I bring glory to God in my job? As school teachers, you're heading back to school. How are you going to bring glory to God this school year? Students, you've gone back to class. How are you going to bring glory to God? Some of you are going to be on sports teams this year. How are you going to bring glory to God in your sports? Some of you are going to be playing in the band. How are you going to bring glory to God through playing a musical instrument? Some of you are going to be doing business decisions. You're going to be working construction. You have all kinds of different jobs. How do you leverage that? How do you lift up the name of Jesus? How do you bring glory to him? All of a sudden, these days that kind of bleed in from one to the next to the next, when you're doing it for him and you're doing it with him, there is meaning and there is purpose unlike anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. So ask yourself this question. How would you bring glory to him today? And how do you plan on bringing glory to him tomorrow? Because life's not about us. But life's about him. Let me give you the second thing that you should be thinking about when you're filling out one of these squares. Is what I'm about to do the best use of my time? Let's be honest. You have opportunities every day to fill up the squares. And you can fill your squares with a lot of good things. Write this down if you're taking notes. Good is the enemy of great. I don't think many of us, at least I hope many of us aren't battling between good and evil. I hope that's not your battle today. I think your battle is between good and great. We fill up our little squares with lots of good things that really have no meaning and no purpose. They just keep us busy. They're good things. They're not sinful things. They're not wrong things. They're just not the very best things. They're not the things that God placed you on this earth to be about. The things that God placed you on this earth to actually do. This is the dilemma that we have. It's between good and great. One of my favorite heroes in the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets a vision from the Lord that he needs to go and rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. The mere fact that the walls have been torn down around the the city of Jerusalem shows that the enemies have contempt now for the people of Israel. And so this is a city that's left unfortified. So anyone can attack them at any point in time. And so God puts a burden on Nehemiah's heart that someone has to rebuild the walls. So years and years and years have gone by. And Nehemiah shows up one day with all the necessary resources to get the job done. He gathers the people. And he says basically to them, let's rise and let's build this disgrace that we have here, this is our opportunity to be, be, do something significant with our lives. And the people rise up and they began the good work. Well, guess what? All the enemy nations didn't appreciate the fact that Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls. And so they began to send threats. And they said, Nehemiah, if you keep building that wall, we're going to come against you. We're going to battle against you. We're going to kill every one of those people working on that wall, including you. But Nehemiah wouldn't be detoured. He just continued to work on that wall day after day after day. Well, one day a messenger comes from some of those enemy nations. And they say, listen, we want to make a peace treaty with you. There's a peace summit that we're having that we want you to come to so that we don't have to come in and invade your people. We just need you to stop building this wall. So why don't you come and just help us out with this peace treaty? Now, that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? I mean, who's going to skip on a peace treaty? 
But Nehemiah refused to go. Why did he refuse to go? Because his purpose wasn't to bring peace. His purpose was to rebuild that wall. He knew that's what God wanted him to do. And he wasn't going to let anything good stop him from doing the greatest thing that he could do in that moment for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. And so he turns to the messenger, and this is what he says to him. I love this. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Nehemiah is a finisher, friends, not a starter. How do you become a finisher? (laughs) You ready? you got to know what's worth giving your life to. So what is it? Because not everything has of equal importance, is it? Not everything has equal value. What's worth giving your time to? What's worth giving your life to? Let's just play the game for a second. Is it your job or is it your family? I'm a recovering workaholic. And I have struggled with this for 20 some odd years. I I think I'm doing a whole lot better. You can ask my wife if you ever see her. I think I'm doing better. Um, But it's always been a struggle for me. And this passage of Scripture in Nehemiah was one of the reasons why I was able to get control of this again through the power of God's Holy Spirit. You see, I know I'm not the only workaholic here. I'm not the only one who's called home on more than one occasion and said, hey, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to be working late again. So here's what's going to happen this next week. Something's going to go wrong. You're the boss, and you're going to have to feel like you've got to do more for your business. Or you're an employee, and your boss is breathing down your throat, says, I need you to stay a little bit longer, and I need you to work on this. And this has become habitual. This has become something where everybody in your life knows that what you do and who you are in the family, that what you do is more important than being home. I want you to remember these words of Nehemiah. I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. What is your great work? For me, it was my family. I wanted to be there for my three girls. And I didn't want to miss anything that they were involved in. But there were many times when there were demands and meetings and things that needed to be done. And I had to make a decision. So you know what I did? I put on my desk a picture of my family. And I said to myself, I'm doing a great work. But the great work wasn't the church. The great work was them. And so I got up and I grabbed my keys. And on my way out the door, I said, God, you said you would build your church. So you keep building it. I'm going home. (laughs) You do the same thing. Friends, this next week, you're going to have all kinds of people pulling you from every direction, but it doesn't mean you should be going the directions they want you to be pulled in. You've got to determine what's the most important thing, what's worthy of giving your life to. So you look at that picture on that desk, you look at that picture in your purse, you look at that picture in your wallet, and you say, I'm doing a great work, and I'm not coming down. And then that night, you go home and you have fun. I had so many great times with my kids as they grew up. And friends, it goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. I mean, you get the privilege of walking down the hallway and tucking your kids in bed at night and praying a prayer with them. You whisper to yourself, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Some of you are single and you want to be married. At some point in time, I'm guessing in your life, you wrote down a list of who you wanted to, to be with, Right? 
But now you're older, and the list looks a little more impossible to find someone that good. And so you're tempted to, eh, I guess I'm not going to find that. I guess he won't be smoking hot. How about just hot? <laughs> Somewhat witty. That'd be good. And, and you're, you're beginning to kiss frogs. Listen, I didn't get married until I was 28 years old. So I, I know those days. I know how lonely that can be. I know how tough that can be. What you got to focus on is becoming the person that you want to be with because you attract who you are. So you take that list of the things you want in somebody else and then you ask yourself the question, is that in my life? And then you stop focusing on finding somebody else and you just focus on what God wants to do in you. And then when you're ready, God will bring that person. And I know you're discouraged. I know sometimes you're like, this is never going to happen. Listen to me. God placed every star in the sky and named them by name. He can do anything. And he can bring that person in your life. You just keep telling yourself, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I know people who are in debt up to their eyeballs. And they're trying to get out of debt. But my goodness, the Amazon app is right there on their phone. And the sales are unbelievable. No, 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 no. Delete that app and tell yourself, I'm doing a great work. And I can't come down. There are so many of us that you thought you were going to make a bigger impact with your life than you have. And I'm talking about an impact for eternity. But now you're 30, 40, 50 years old and you look at your life and you say, it hasn't been made too much of an impact at all. Okay, can't do anything about yesterday. What are we going to do about this square? What are we going to do about that next square that God places you in? How are, are you still going to just give your life to your phone? Playing games on your phone and social media and wasting precious time doing that stuff? Binge watching another show on Netflix? Is this what life has come down to? There's going to be many of us who are going to look back on our life and we're going to say, Oh, I regret. Oh, I regret wasting so much precious time doing stuff that didn't even matter. Friends, we make plans without God you know what I've been praying for you this whole week? I've been praying that God would give you a heart of discernment. Because it's hard, it's difficult to discern between what's good and what's best. That's why you got to know what you value. And then whatever it is that you value that is a God-honoring value, like God and His people, then you give yourself wholeheartedly to that and you learn to say no to the other stuff. So we take this stuff for granted, right? We, we first mistake is we don't consult God. Let me give you the second mistake he says here. He says we take life for granted. Write this down if you're taking notes. Life is brief. He says, what's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say if it's the Lord's will, then we'll live and do this or do that. But as it is, you just boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. James says our life is so brief, it's, it's, it's but a mist. Look at Psalms 144, verse 4. Man is like a breath. A breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. God's trying to warn us. He says, you think your life is so long, but in reality, it's, it's very, very short, isn't it? 
And, and what I found to be true is that many people are always looking for the next thing. Rather than enjoying the moment that they're in right now, they're always looking for the next thing down the way. You ever talk to a four-year-old? You ever ask a four-year-old, how old are you? You'll never hear a four-year-old say, I'm four years old. You'll never hear that. You'll see her, I'm four and a quarter. Four and a half. I'm four and three quarters. Almost five. That's what you're, they just can't wait to get to that next year. You don't hear adults talking like that, do you? Hey, how old are you? Well, don't ever ask me that. That's rude for you to ask me in the first. But no, no, how old are you? Well, I'm 39 and a half. That's what I am right now. I'm 39. And a half. I'm almost 40. You'll never. And if you meet an adult that talks like that, stay away from them. They're weird. You understand <laughs> what I'm talking about right now? They're always looking for the next thing, aren't they, when you're a kid? Remember that? My, my kids couldn't wait to ride a bicycle. Then they couldn't wait to have a, a cell phone. Then when they turned 15, 16, they couldn't wait to get a driver's license so they could drive a car. And they tell me they can't wait till they're 50 so they can start dating. That's what they say to me from time to time. We still do it as adults, don't we? I can't wait for that vacation. Count down the days. Wow. Can't wait for summer to be over and get these kids back to school. You see how fast it went by? Can't wait till I retire. Just three more years. What are you going to do when you retire? How are you going to bring glory to God there? You know what you're going to do when you retire? You're going to pull out old photo albums. You're going to watch old videos and DVDs. And you're going to wish you could do it again. You're going to wish you did it differently. Because you didn't pay attention to the value of each square. Oh, friends, life is brief and life is uncertain. There was a guy, he went to the pearly gates, or so the story goes, and Peter, of course, was there because that's how every one of these jokes goes, right? So Peter's there at the pearly gates. He said, tell me what good things you did in your life. The guy said, well, I'll tell you one. A, a, a big biker guy, big burly guy was robbing this little old lady, stealing her purse. So I grabbed that guy and I threw him down to the ground and I Gave her back her purse. Peter says, well, that's impressive. When did that happen? He said, two minutes ago. <laughs> you don't know what tomorrow holds. See, we presume upon life. We so say, well, I'll get around to it in, you know, in next week, next month, next year. Did you see COVID coming? Anything can happen, can't it? And your life can turn on a dime. All of a sudden, you're checking your armpit one day, and you feel a lump. Or all of a sudden, something starts to go wrong with you physically, and you go see a doctor, and they say, well, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but it's your terminal. You got three months. And all along, you thought you had decades. But you had three months. Three months. If you knew you were dying, which by the way you are, would you live a little differently? No, we don't live differently because we got plenty of time to do what needs to be done. How about this one? Life is also insignificant without God. Life without God doesn't count for much, does it? Not for all eternity. 
You ever notice how quickly people go back to their normal life after a funeral? Somebody dies, and then we just pretty much three days later, we just go back to our normal life. Now, now, obviously, the people who are closest to them, you know, their husband, their wife, their kids, it takes much longer for them. But eventually, right, say some semblance of life. But for people who are just acquaintances, co-workers, things like that, people who show up, you know, they're just kind of a friend to the person. After about three, four days, they kind of, I kind of miss them. But they just kind of move on with life, right? They come to the funeral. They, they cry. They weep. They dry their eyes with tissue. They come to your house each your potato salad, then they go back and they do life just like they've done it always before. I came across an interesting poem this week. I think it will encourage you. Sometime when you're feeling important that you would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how they humble your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out and the hole that's remaining is the measure of how much you'll be missed. You can splash all you wish when you enter. You may stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find that in no time it looks quite the same as before. The moral of this quaint example is do just the best that you can. Be proud of work, but remember, there's no indispensable man. Aren't you glad you got here today to hear that wonderful poem right there? Didn't that just uplift your spirits? We have no significance apart from God. hundred years from now, nobody's even going to know you existed. The only thing that makes us significant is that he knows us. And that he knows us by name. And he'll never forget your name. The only thing that makes life significant is that we get to do it together with him. And that we get to use our time and our talent and our treasure for something bigger than ourselves. That we have a chance to bring the kingdom of God from up there to down here. And that God somehow would use us to do it. Oh, why do we have significance? Because of his great love for us. Because he saw such value in us that he sent his son to die for us. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And he's the one that brings peace. He's the one that brings purpose. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't fear any evil because he's right there with you. His rod and his staff, they'll comfort you. He's collected every tear in a bottle. He knows what's gone on, what they did to you. And one day he will repay. He will bring justice. The only reason we have any significance is because of him. So how does he want you to live your life? How does he want you to fill up those squares? And what is it that he's asking you to be about? That for some reason you just refuse to be about it. How are you bringing glory to Him in your everyday average life? What is He asking you to do? For some of you, you've got to readjust your schedule. You've got to make more time for your family. For others of you, you need to take the, the Word of God more seriously. You need to spend time reading the Word of God and seeking His face and asking Him, where would you like me to go? What would you want me to do? God, I got one shot. I got one shot. Don't let me waste this one shot at life. Do you know what the most dangerous word in the English language is? It's the word someday. Someday I'll do it. Someday I'll get around to it. Someday I'll get serious about God. Someday I'll, someday I'll get baptized. Someday. 
Someday I'll get in that small group. Someday I'll serve in that ministry. Someday I'll leverage my life for the things of God. Someday. Got every intention of doing it. Not today, but someday. I wonder how many of us sitting here have sat here through an invitation where people are giving their lives over to Jesus Christ and you told yourself, well, someday I'll do that too. And you're still empty and you're still miserable and you're still trying to find peace in everything this world offers and you still are coming up empty. Friends, today is the someday you've waited your whole life for. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day to make things right with God. Not someday, but today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us a heart of wisdom. My goodness, we think we have so much time to turn things around and make things different. And we don't even know what's going to happen in the next few hours, let alone this next week. Lord, for those of us who have been putting you off, putting off getting serious about you, putting off giving our lives over to you, I pray that today would be the day. Today would be the day they make things right with you. Today would be the day they would confess themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. Today would be the day they would find your love. They would find your grace and your forgiveness. Today, they would start all over again. And from this day forward, never waste a single moment. Lord, whatever decision you would have us to make, give us the courage in this moment to make it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.